uh, they'd be amazed, wouldn't they? <laughs> he said, I did have my left eye open. <laughs> All right, so I want you to do something for me. Let's get into the Word tonight. You chose to come on a Wednesday night, and because you did, we are real, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you some good stuff tonight. So I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, if you would, chapter 2. Now, we've jumped ahead a couple times and read some stuff. We stopped on your outline, if you're using your full outline. In our previous study, we saw that Jesus came into the temple and he drove out the money changers. And we talked about them. They were super-duper ripoffs. It wasn't just that they were selling stuff. Like, there would have been really nothing wrong with where they were if they would have just been charging fair prices or trying to help people to worship the Lord by providing sacrifices because the people couldn't travel that long and keep sacrifices time, nine times out of ten. Problem was they were totally ripping people off, and it had become a way for them to make an exorbitant pro uh, profit. And so Jesus drove them out from the temple because basically they were living with complete disregard for the holiness of God. And uh, so if you have your full study, you'll see on your outline um, a little kind of an arrow bullet point, and it says resume you know, your study here on the ones that I produced tonight. And uh, so we're going to begin at about verses 17 and, and 18, but I'm doing a little background with you and so, um, so that we can just kind of catch up because we've had different things going on at different times. Incidentally, homecoming was amazing, wasn't it? Wasn't that just a blessing? I mean, I, you know, I just tend to do that. I tend to just conquer one thing and then jump right on to the next thing. And sometimes we just need to slow down and thank God. I mean, we had clear weather. And a great cloud cover, but not really raining or anything. Next day, the bottom came out, man. It was, that ground, you could, you could walk in it right now and almost get sunk to the knee. But I'm telling you, it was, it was dry. It was awesome. And the music was great. And the food was really great. And the people, you guys were working so hard. And all of you, a lot of you volunteering. And everybody was smiling. And obviously, me saying about three or four times, no complaining. It actually worked because I went the whole day. I didn't hear one complaint, not one. I had one person come up to me who had not been to either of the times I mentioned, no complaining as a rule, and he started to complain. And I said, eh, stop, no complaining today. He said, oh, okay, okay. He didn't know the rule. <laughs> but it, I told it to him real quick, no complaining today. But, man, I thought it was great. I thought that was an event that anybody could have driven by, and the impression that they would have gotten of, of uh, Calvary Baptist Church, of the people of Calvary Baptist Church, were that they were happy, that they weren't a bunch of people that had been baptized in persimmon juice, you know, and sour and mad at the world, that they were welcome, that we wanted them to come in, that our God uh, is a God who does things right, and therefore we do things right because we want to, according to the gospel, live like he would have us live. Uh, it was a quality event. I mean, the spirit of it, the atmosphere of it, I thought Kay Schaffler uh, did a wonderful job with the history of the church and some of, some of the things. She couldn't get them all, trust me. Uh, she was really working hard to do that. A lot of you helped out having cotton candy and bounce houses and snow cones and barbecue. And my goodness, I mean, I just, yeah, desserts, all kinds of stuff. It was just amazing, wasn't it? It was really good. So thank you for the hard work that you put into that. 
that's what it takes if you're going to grow a church now so that, and when I say grow a church, excuse me, what, what, I don't even want to work on us growing the church. What I want us to do is just work on the church being healthy because healthy things grow. And so if our church is healthy, it will grow. Healthy things grow, right? If you plant a tomato plant and it's healthy, it will grow. If it doesn't grow, something's unhealthy, something's wrong with it. Same with your children, whatever. And uh, so I'm just thankful. I was, I, I just, for me, honestly, I can't remember an event in my history, in the recent history, that's just gone so smooth. I just didn't hardly see a glitch. And, uh, man, that's just uncommon in Baptist life. I mean, <laughs> spiritual life i mean you know you're fighting the enemy and he doesn't want us to be successful but i really 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 just thank you and uh man it it was great uh it was really really great i enjoyed it um so thank you now um back to our lesson here very quickly but anyway uh it's been a while so what i was doing was kind of recapping some jesus goes in he drives out the money changers from the temple because they, what they were doing was they were living with complete disregard for the holiness of God and God's temple and everything in the temple and everything, every act that they performed in the temple had a special purpose. And I'm going to show you what that is tonight. It's going to be really eye-opening. But they were just dishonoring all of that. And then we looked at applying that to our lives today. And we know what Jesus did then to those people who were dishonoring the temple, he made a cord of whips and drove them out. But what about to now? What about now? We talked about how we as believers are now the temple of God. And then we examined ourselves at our last study on John chapter 2 in light of these truths. Jesus, first of all, in that text, showed a divine refusal to put up with disregard for God's holiness, for God's temple. He absolutely did not tolerate it. You just don't see this kind of behavior out of Jesus much, but you do see it. Incidentally, for some of you who think that being a Christian means that you have to be kind all the time, that's simply not true. You have to be godly all the time, but Jesus was not kind all the time. You read his words to the Pharisees sometimes. I mean, you know, it's something if a man walks up to you and says, Albert, you're a hypocrite. That's a boy, Woo. That's an accusation, right? Louise, you're a hypocrite. You know what you are? You're like, I mean, it's the way Jesus, you know, Jesus like, I'll tell you what you are. On the outside, you look really good. You look like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones. I mean, good night, man. I mean, he used brood of vipers. You're like a den of snakes. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, and so Jesus was not always kind. He was always truthful. And he didn't always speak every bit of truth that needed to be spoke. But he wasn't always kind. And on that particular day, he certainly wasn't kind. There was a blatant disregard for the things of God, and Jesus called it down. And we talked about one of the applications was just because society accepts it, or even we accept it, just because the church accepts it, does not mean that God accepts it. And we said what, 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 then we looked at it personally and said, now what does Jesus need to drive out of my life? And instead of having him drive it out, why not me invite him in to help get rid of that, right? How much better? 
And then we were glad to learn that God deals with us in patience. But the truth is, he doesn't put up with unconfessed, unrepented of sin in the life of a believer. He does not. So never mistake God's patience for acceptance of your behavior. If you're a believer, just because God doesn't rain down fire on you immediately, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that he's actually accepting that behavior. And so let's look right quick at John chapter 2, and I'm going to go back and just read uh, the text a little bit. Now, see, what we're doing is called Bible study. We're not in a race to complete John. We want to know and get into the Word. You know, there's a verse that talks about studying. I know it. I'm just trying to bait you a little bit. It talks about study to show yourself approved, right? A workman that needs not to be what? Ashamed, rightly dividing what? The Word of Truth. But I was watching with Sam yesterday uh, a series that we're watching and discipling one another about uh, by Adrian Rogers on preparing lessons. And he was talking about studying the text, really hard studying the text. I've never looked at that verse this way. It says, study to show yourself approved. You've got to study, really study the Bible. That's how you become a, a good, faithful worker of Christ. You understand? Study to show yourself approved. I've always read it a different way. Study to show thyself approved like you're, you know, but no, it's study. And then you can be an approved worker, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes study. And uh, so... Let's take our time. Let's look at it in verse 12 of chapter 2. After these things, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, they did not stay there many days. We talked about the need just to take a break, right? Incidental little verse there. Then he moves into this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and he found in the temple... Those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers, and they were doing business. And we talked about that. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them. You should, you should under, he drove them. You should underline that. He drove them all, too. He didn't leave a one out of the temple. Along with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the money changers' table, money and overturned the tables. <clears throat> he would have disrupted our homecoming. Had that been it? And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. But then his disciples remembered. Now this is key. We're going to look at this. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up, has consumed me. So the Jews, this is speaking of the religious leaders probably, they said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. He could have been pointing to himself there. We don't know. But destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. Boy, that's a sign enough, isn't it? The Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? 
but he was speaking, see, of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, later on when he's risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You see how they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had said. Why? Because it agreed with scripture. And uh, it's just fascinating. Look at verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during that feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But this is key. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in a man. And uh, so, so we're going to just check some of this out tonight and, and show you what, what we're looking at now. The question continues right here. Our study continues this. When did Jesus really cleanse the temple? Because if you were to go to the end, now this is at the beginning. Remember John chapter 2. But if you were to, did he cleanse the, the temple at the beginning of his ministry or at the end? Because if you were to go to Luke, I think it's chapter 19, verse 59. That's Luke chapter 19. Jesus cleanses the temple in the last week of his earthly ministry. When did he do it? At the, at the beginning or at the end? You're scared to answer, aren't you? Both. Both. We'll talk about it a little bit later. We're going to talk about it. There were two cleansings, but we're going to talk about it. So it, it was both. See, the Bible says that he did it at the beginning in the, in the book of John. This is obviously the beginning of his ministry. And the Bible says that he did it at the end in Luke chapter 19. It's, it's a no-brainer uh, for me now. Now, some people argue and say, well, you know, John says at the beginning and Luke says at the end. No, it, it, there are differences and variances. But, but what he did was, it's simple to me what he did. Here's what he did. He cleansed the temple early in his ministry, and most conservative scholars agree with this. And then he cleansed all those people out, and it was a one-day event when he did that, the cleansing. He didn't cleanse it for days or weeks or months. And you know what happened? All those old habits crept back in. Didn't take long. People said, well, he's, he's not here today. He's not watching us now. I'm going back in. I'm, I'm doing what I used to do. And so he had to go back in. And he had to cleanse it again. Does that ever happen in your life? Of course it does. We say to the Lord, I'll never do it again. We walk the aisle, we kneel, we pray, God, I'll never be the same. God, I'm going to break that habit. God, with your help, I don't want to do it. We totally commit it to him, and then we allow it, don't we, to creep back in. And just this reassures me, because Jesus was willing to cleanse this temple twice. <laughs> Guess what? He's willing to cleanse your temple twice, and three times, and four times, and five times. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that when you got cleansed the first time and you got saved, Jesus didn't hand you a list and say, now here's a list, you're 27 sins. you got to stop them. You can't ever do one of those again. If you do, you're out of the family. Aren't you glad? That, I mean, it's dangerous to sit up front here, isn't it? Because you get used as an <laughs> illustration all the time. But, but aren't you glad, really, that he didn't say that? You can't ever do that again. If you do that again, you're out of the family. I'm never coming back in and cleansing your heart again. Oh, man, this is such a beautiful. Now, I'm telling you, every picture cast his shadow 
when you read the New Testament, everything is there for a purpose, and everything is painting a picture of Christ. And so you look at verse 17 and 18, what does it say? Verses 17 and 18, we just read it, talks about the disciples. Now, this is, this is really cool. I got my Bible. Find it here. I just read through it. Well, take me a second. Page flipped over on me. <laughs> I was like, man, that's not the 17 I saw. His disciples, after he threw them out, the disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Now, here's what's cool about this on your outline. Notice the two totally different reactions to Jesus cleansing the temple. These reactions teach us a lot about how you and I react when Jesus comes into our life and invades our life. And hear me now, when he invades it to the sense that he's getting on our pet sin. You know, the ones that we have and we like them. And we may hide them, but we keep them close to us. Nobody else sees it. But it's the thing just like those money changers and Jesus gets on our, convicts us about it. It's destroying our lives, but we hold on to it. Two different reactions. First of all, write this on your outline. The disciples, though, notice in verse 17, they had a great response. They were able to see the heart of Jesus. Their minds were drawn back to the scripture when God convicted them, when they saw this. In fact, they quote Psalm 69 about the Son of God coming, having a zeal, a great heart, a zeal for God's house. And so the disciples were able to see the heart of Jesus. See, when God comes into my life and your life and He challenges us about our sin, here's what I, man, because I get convicted and, and like, you know, goodness gracious, it's my prayer that I would humble myself and listen to Him, that I would see His heart that he cares for me, that he's not just trying to, to quench me or not let me get revenge or whatever, that he wants what's best for me. See, that's his heart. I want what's best for you. I want you to become what I've created you for. I want you to see what sin is doing in your life now. And it's keeping you from serving the way you could be serving. It's keeping you from being the kind of person you could be. It's keeping you from being the dad or the mom that you could be the kind of husband or wife that you could be. And Jesus is saying, I can see that. And I am going, you're my child, I'm going to drive that out of your life so you can be better, so your life can be whole. Now, hopefully, we can see that, the heart of Jesus, his compassion and his love. That's why he does it. He disciplines us, doesn't he? In the love, Lord loves, he what? Chastens. And scourges every son he receives. But listen, why does he do that? Because he loves us. But the Pharisees, now here's the totally opposite reaction. They didn't see that at all. They didn't see Psalm 69 and say, oh, this is the Messiah. This could be him. He cares about us. No, no, no. We're messing up. What did they say? Instead of seeing the heart of Jesus, you know what they did? Write this down. They challenged the authority of Jesus. Who do you think you are to come into our world into our temple and our life and tell us what to do what are your credentials instead of asking whether jesus was right 
You know what they looked at him and said? Who gave you the right to speak into our lives? That is so much like us when God challenges us about our sins, isn't it? I mean, he'll use different vehicles to do it now. But the car always comes down our street and pulls in our driveway. Amen? I mean, sometimes he'll do it through a prayer. Sometimes he'll do it through a sermon. He'll do it a lot of different ways. Maybe we know in the back of our mind that he's right. But sometimes what we do instead of saying, yes, Lord, that's right, and I need to change, is we start to fight against sometimes the, the deliverer of the message, sometimes the, the meaning of the message. So instead of saying, I admit it, I need you to drive that out of my life, you know what we'll say? To the preacher, to the friend who keeps us accountable, somebody in our small group, Sunday school class, who do you think you are? Tell me that. <laughs> I had a friend, a pastor, a while back. Just the guy's life was really, really, he just got away with so much junk. And I was just like, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? When are you going to, are you going to, you know, straighten him out? And it's like the Lord said, well, you want me to teach you that way? Um, no, no, <laughs> you know. But we, but we've all felt that way. Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to do that? It's human nature. You know, I, I bolded this statement on my teaching outline tonight because I wanted you to really hear this. It is sad that sometimes we get mad at the best thing that's ever happened to us. So you need to know about the way God works in our lives. There are two questions that I wrote on your outline for you that growing Christians should regularly ask themselves if you think about this lesson. Number one, very serious question. We should ask ourselves this. Why do I resist God when he seeks to cleanse the temple of my life? Why? why, why there's an old hymn that says something like, why do we linger and heed not his warnings, his pleadings, pleadings for you and for me? Why do we heed not his mercy is, is one of the lines in that song that just popped into my head. That's a great question, isn't it? When God convicts us of a sin, is he doing it for our good? Absolutely. Why? So the, I'm, I'm saying in an analytical thing, like ask the question, analytical way, don't just... Don't just make yourself feel guilty about it. That doesn't help you get better at resisting the sin or whatever. Really ask yourself that question. Why do I? Why? <laughs> Let me use one that'll get about half of you. Why? Because it's Wednesday night, and I can't talk about this topic on Sunday morning because I might have an unbeliever here. Why do I get angry when the pastor talks about tithing 10% of my gross income to the work of the church. Why? I mean, just ask the question, why? I don't know. You might be doing it and still get mad. But why do you get mad? It might be because you've never practiced that discipline and it's guilt. It may be because of false guilt. It may be true guilt. I don't know. Why do I get angry? Why when God 
approaches of sin in my life. Really go back and ask that question. Why do I resist God? Am I, am I just wanting to indulge in the flesh? I don't know, but it's a great question to ask. You can get down to the root of why you behave the way you behave, and then you can change that. And the second question is this. It's kind of the positive side to it. We all need to ask ourselves, how can I develop a, I'm going to say this like this, a zeal? Because that's what Jesus had, a zeal for God's temple today. Not This is not God's temple. This, in your body, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How can I develop a zeal that when I see something polluted in my life, I will hate it, and I will want to drive it out, and I can't stand it, and I'll do whatever is possible to drive it out. So, wow, I could suggest a lot of things. I could suggest prayer, because that's important. Reading God's Word daily, super important. Being active in a Sunday school class. Loving God, loving others, spreading the Word, witnessing, fellowshipping. All those things are important. But here's what I want you to get. Notice that Jesus came in and his real zeal focused not on the fact that this was a temple, a pretty building that was built by Herod. You know what it was called? Herod's temple. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say Herod's temple. Why are you making Herod's temple a house of merchandise? Herod's temple shall be called a house of prayer. You know what he called it? My father's house. Now, who lives in you? Who lives in me? You see, Jesus knew who owned the temple. And now follow me, because he knew who owned it, he had a deeper zeal for the purity of it. Here's the foundational truth. Bible study's good, prayer's good, small group's good, worship ministry's good, preaching's good, but listen, here's the foundation. The more that I become convinced of the fact that I am owned, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel by Jesus Christ's precious blood, and I'm owned by Him, then the more and the more I meditate on that gospel truth, the more I can develop a zeal to be the type of temple I want to be before him. Scripture says you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. Therefore glorify God with your body. For your body is the temple of whom? The Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So when we recognize, follow me, whose we are, then we can have a zeal for the temple that God has designed us to be. That's foundational. Whose am I? Well, see, part of the maturity, part of the growing in your life as a Christian, the more I grow in Christ and I meditate on the gospel, now follow me. The, here I begin to move away from the thinking that says, this is my body. I can do what I want to. My time. My house, my car. The more I realize that, I can, uh, the more I grow in Christ and meditate on the gospel, the more I move away from that. And the more I, I move towards, this is his temple. 
Therefore, he can do with it whatever he wants to do with it, right? Now, that's really gross, isn't it? It really is. And so I need to understand this foundational truth of ownership. Jesus understood that. Why are you doing this in here? This is my father's house. Get out! Get out! And he did not slack up an ounce. That's the attitude you and I ought to take with this temple. Now listen, I need to, I could get on my knees and repent right now for the way I act in his temple. The thoughts I allow in his temple. The things I allow through the eye gates of my eye into this temple. The things I allow through the ear and things that come out of this temple. So I'm just telling you, I'm with you, okay? I'm with you. I hope you hear I'm not hitting you. I'm hitting me. I'm telling you. But this principle of ownership is everything. This is my father. This is your father's house. It's a big truth. It's amazing when you slow down and just read it. In verses 19 through 22, you see questions continuing. And uh, I don't know why, but every time I set this thing down, the page does flip. I look at uh, verse 19, it says, uh, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. And they said, it takes 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, now he's talking about lay way later on, right? We're in John chapter 2. When he rose from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so uh, the Pharisees asked, who gave you the authority? And then Jesus gave him one of his famous answers, right? Don't you love it? I mean, he loves these kind of answers when he's dealing with religious people. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, it, I think it's likely Jesus probably pointed to himself. I don't know. But he was speaking of himself. That's exactly what John says. But whether he did or didn't, it doesn't make any difference because they didn't get it. They looked around at the physical temple. They didn't get it. Again, they didn't get it. Raise it again in three days? It took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? Now, just make a little note there. That's a very interesting note. What John is doing is driving down a historical stake for us in the text by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is telling us exactly where we can place this in the life and ministry of Jesus because we can use that comment to date exactly when this happened, we know Herod began building the tent. It's documented historically that he began building it in 19 B.C. So he had 46 years of that. Happened about A.D. 27. Just a cool little side note. That's one of those details that help us when you, you see these people that go through the Bible and they pin down the life and ministry of Jesus. It's how they do it. How can you do that? This temple. Now, I, I mean, now here's what's amazing. <laughs> When he said, I can raise this temple up, they didn't know that he was talking about the temple of his body, of his body. Now, I just talked to you about the fact that we're temples of God. But check this out. Jesus just called his body a temple. You destroy this what? Temple. And I'll what? Raise it up. So your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' body was a temple. The body. Now, you know why the temple is so important? There's an Old Testament reason and a New Testament reason. Now, follow me on this. It's going to really, really bless you and enlighten you on something. In the Old Testament, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in the Old Testament, the temple where God's presence was, it represented the body. Write that in your blank. It represented the body of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? 
the sacrifices that were done in the temple all looked forward and pictured the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Did you know that? All the lambs, all the innocent, perfect, spotless lamb, all the sacrifices, everything had to be clean, everything had to be perfect. And listen, that's why Jesus was so angry. Because not only was this his father's house, but it was made, every detail in it, designed by God to represent what Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross. That grand narrative of Scripture that I talk about all the time, the gospel, the redemption, the greatest act of of all time. The sacrifice for the salvation of mankind is supposed to be pictured here. He walks in, and they're taking it lightly. It's a way to make money. No wonder he was so angry because he looked at that picture and he said, you're spoiling the picture of God's full and free redemption at the cost of another. No wonder he took a whip and drove them out. In the Old Testament, the temple where God's presence was represented the body of Christ. Now in the New Testament, our bodies, have become the temple of God. Kind of cool, isn't it? When Jesus died on the cross, God's Spirit left that building in Jerusalem, came to dwell in the lives of individual believers, says He'll never leave us. And that's one of the greatest things that's ever happened, one of the greatest miracles that ever happened. He says, in three days, this is fascinating, He says, in three days now, you destroy His temple. He's talking about His own body. He says, I'll raise it up. Now, He's already talking about the resurrection. And the disciples didn't know that yet, but you know it because you've already skipped ahead and read the end of the book. Even though we're right in the middle of it, you know, time-wise. But listen, you know about the resurrection stuff, but this is amazing. Stick with me because we forget that Jesus here is at, in John 2, is at the very beginning of a three-year ministry, earthly ministry. But he already knows the end of the story. He already knows that he's going to be raised on third day for Jesus Christ. So listen, for Jesus, while he was on this earth, life for him was not one of trying to figure out God's will. Because he already knew what God's will was. was. It was not one of him trying to figure out God's will. It, it It was just a matter of living out God's will. Now, the stronger we grow as believers, it should go just like that for us. You see, what we do is we, we make a lot of mistakes a lot of times of thinking, you know, if I could just discover God's will for my life, then my life would be easy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you could, if you could figure out what God's exact will for your life is, I can promise you'd be anything but easy. There's no telling where he might send you. No telling what he might ask you to give up. No telling. Listen, Jesus knew God's will at the very early part of his ministry. He still suffered and walked around barefooted at times. He still suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. He still had nails drove through his hands. Was he in God's will? Yes. He suffered immensely. And so so we got to understand this now. Listen. Finding out God's will does not make your life easy, but it does make it meaningful. 
and purposeful and abundant in a sense of knowing that you're doing God's will and full because Jesus' life was certainly complete. And Jesus knew. He knew exactly in the early chapters of John what direction his life was going. Now, if we look at the last couple of verses, verses 23 through 25, talks about the fact that he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. A lot of people believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did, but he didn't notice this. Underline this. Jesus did not commit himself to them or entrust himself to them. Either word. Because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify to land, for he knew what was in a man. That's an interesting verse to me where it says Jesus would not commit himself to a man. Now, people believed in him. It says that. But he didn't entrust himself to them. Now, let me just speak to you. Because we had a great event Sunday. This church is going to grow. Because it is a healthy church. It's going to grow. But Jesus understood crowds. And we've got to learn to understand crowds. Jesus understood what drew a crowd, didn't he? You <laughs> just read the New Testament. Multitudes, it says, gathered to hear him. And we need to understand that as a church. What will draw a crowd? Just like we put on a quality event, drew people. Now, we're going to have a church, and we have one now, where crowds come on Sunday that we're trying to reach for Jesus, and it's going to grow even larger and larger, probably significantly larger than any of us can imagine. But here's what we've got to remember. Jesus understood that there are positives to crowds. You get to preach the gospel to people, they get to get saved and things like that. But often there were negatives. And we can learn from him in a church like ours. Because listen, our purpose is not to please the crowd. That's why as I really prayed about Sunday, I completely switched my message, and I just wanted, I started talking about Calvary, and I started talking about his vision, started talking about all this stuff. I said, no, I'm just going to lift Jesus Christ up. Got to make much of Jesus. Got to make much of Jesus. Our purpose is to lift up Jesus Christ in a crowd. When we can get a crowd to come, we lift up Jesus. Amen. It's, a, it's great to get a crowd as long as you lift up Jesus. But it's not good to have a crowd if you don't lift up Jesus. And we can learn from this. Two very different things. <laughs> Our purpose is not to please the crowd. Our purpose is to lift up Jesus. Yes, we want to give them a parking place <laughs> so they can get close to the church, so they can come in and have, find a seat. Why? So we can lift up Christ in the crowd. But as soon as they get here, that you need to understand, we're not going to change the message to suit better what, what people want to hear. The message is to lift up Christ. So here's what we, Jesus didn't entrust himself to the crowd. You know, who, who did he entrust himself to? Well, even on the cross, what did he say? Father, into thy hands I, what? Commit. My spirit, absolutely. He entrusted himself to no man. He entrusted himself to God. Now, he learned to trust people. But he didn't entrust himself to people. Do you understand? The difference is huge. And we got to learn to trust people, but we ultimately entrust ourselves to God. Uh, so, <laughs> big difference. We learn to trust others. You can write this in your last blank. But we entrust ourselves to God alone. 
Jesus understood people. <laughs> That's what it says. He knew it was in the heart of a man. I'm not making that up. Jesus understood people. So we understood the need for that. Right? Let's pray. And um, I don't even... All right. Let me, let me ask you this. I know I'm glad to see Brother Herb here tonight. He's doing better on his... A uh, little better. Still feeling some rough deal, but it doesn't look like it might not be your heart that was hurting you. It might be reflux or something like that. They don't know. We want you to pray for Herb and Louise and continue on. Has anybody heard today about Lynn Todd? She, I knew she was. Yep, she came home this morning. That's good. And I talked to Jerry a couple times and, and said she's doing better, significantly better. She had a you think she just had a stroke the other day. We don't know. They're, they're still trying to determine it and figure out exactly what it was. Anybody else? Uh, what it, I know there's one or two more. Yeah, Ken. <coughs> mm-hmm. tell you if you go to the hospital today you better really have somebody watching and checking your medicines now I'm telling you because every doctor is a specialist and they'll all write you something different and sometimes they don't do the best so pray for uh, Ed Connell he's had been on several different medications that could be causing his blood blood pressure to be too low So pray for Roy Dennis, if you would, that he can get the surgery that he needs. I, I have one prayer request that's an unspoken one. It's for someone here. I just want you to be praying for them to help them. The Lord knows who it is. I think we need to share a praise, too, and just thank the Lord for homecoming, for the ways our offerings, our people are committing, and they're giving, and they're inviting, and keep inviting people. Just keep in it. Just stay in that habit. Don't get out of it, because if you get out of it, you know, we're creatures of habit. It's hard to get back in them. Herb? Got a nephew that's having a heart valve replacement. So pray for him. That's pretty serious. Brother Dale. Who's this now? Okay, I'm sorry. I, I was just, I coughed right in the thing and I got. Yes, amen. I've been communicating back and forth with her also. Pray for Tony and myself, if you would, too. Tomorrow we go for a day of training, staff training. And so staff development, that's important. And uh, I heard a guy say the other day, I asked him, he's a fireman. I said, how much do you train? He said, all the time, all the time. We never stop. I said, compare that to your church life. Is the work important at church? Yes. How much do you train? 
he kind of laughed. He was like, well, he said, but you know what? The fire department, we got a saying. You don't train until you can do it right. You train until you can't do it wrong. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's impactful. You don't train until you can do it right. You train until you can't do it wrong. So pray for us as, as we train some. And yes, and I'll come back. <coughs> Amen, brother. Uh, Joanne Padgett went and had a little procedure done. I guess I shouldn't call it a little procedure, but she had a procedure done, and it has regulated her heart, and it seems to have worked well, and she is feeling better. So praise, that's a praise. Louise. Good. We need you to be healthy, don't we, Herb? <laughs> Amen. So thankful for that. Brother Albert? Okay, pray for Albert's uh, daughter. Mm. <coughs> so pray for G.W. McCall, who's been, oh, McCullough, I'm sorry. Lord knows who it is. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know what happened. It's like I got this tickle right there. Louise. <laughs> yes, there actually has been. Thank you. When, any news on when we're going to be able to close on the sale of our home in Huntersville? Uh, hopefully next week. Looks like this coming week. So I hope so. It, it, it better be or I'm going to put it back on the market or do something. But for heaven's sakes. Yeah, so I, that's been a big stress on me. I probably have to call a day or at least a couple of times every two days to, you know, light a fire under somebody. It's like herding cats. <laughs> <coughs> now, who was this? I mean, what was the name? I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Okay. The Renaults family, they lost... Uh, their uh, mother in a motorcycle accident leaves us through cancer. Let's pray for our church secretary too, Wanda. Uh, she's, you know, got the two nieces that she's taken in because they lost their mother. That's what made me mother and father in a motorcycle accident. And um, so that's a, that's a lot, you know, to to have already raised a child that's probably in his early 20s and then now you take on two teenagers. <laughs> and uh, I told you last week, she said, somebody told me you, ta you told everything I did in church last week. <laughs> Backed up and hit her car door, you know. I better not tell it again. Uh, but uh, I said, I was joking. 
You don't make the church secretary mad if you're a pastor, I guarantee you. All right, any others? Let's pray that the Lord will help us to plan well and to execute His will properly in getting on the new property. In His timing, we've got to find a good architect first, pray for the long-range planning committee. and We've been talking to some good people, and... Uh, we just want to get it where we could have two or three that we could drop them in a hat and get any one of them blindfolded and have a great one. <coughs> Here's where we are. We're four minutes away from 8 o'clock. All right. Well, the question was, where are we at with the children director? We are without one. <laughs> uh Adam finally moved, and, and I don't mean it like that, finally moved. <laughs> I mean, he came up and moved his final move with his family, got his family and everything. He was happy I talked to him. Um, but um, <clears throat> what I have done is I have written out an entire job description, an accurate one, that's very thorough. I'm going to talk to our personnel team about this, and I don't. if they don't agree, that's fine. I'll go with them. But I feel like... We need somebody that does a broader job description than that. So I've, I want them to do that plus some other stuff. I want some help with Sunday school and training and different things. I'd like to have somebody who was a minister of education and, and responsible and a sharp type person can do this. If we get a first class player on the team, and that's the only thing I'm shooting for, uh, we get somebody who could handle every educational aspect of the church. That would free me up to work on long range visioning things preaching, things like that, that I don't have any time for now. Uh, so I've reworked that job description. I have sent it off to three different people, uh, one of whom is a church growth expert, one of them who is director of Christian education at Columbia Bible College and seminary in Columbia, South Carolina, Terry Powell. And they both read through it and wrote me back a few comments, things we ought to add or take off and stuff. So I've had them editing about getting ready probably won't be tomorrow because we'll be in training, but hopefully first of next week I'll have it out to the personnel team, let them look at it. I'm looking at Nancy over there. But I'd like for you guys to look at it and uh, Josh and just see what you think about it and see about the idea. Uh, they'd be responsible for children uh, and a, a, a good bit more. And because um <coughs> you got to understand, this is a church, now I'm telling you, this is a church where somebody ought to want to work. It really is. We ought to have people lined up out the door for this position. Uh, but hopefully we'll begin to search uh, and find the right person. Terry Powell said he might have a name or two that he might recommend for us. Um, but I'd like to have somebody to help train all our teachers too and to help you know how to keep records and help you know how to handle objections in a class, help you know how to handle, how to invite people. And we got to get our Sunday school really, really organized. I've talked with Betty about this a bit. But I just haven't had time. It's been my fault. I haven't had time to get together with Betty. She works hard on it. But we'll get there. But we've got to have help in that. And so I'd like to see that long-term where we're at with it. But we've got some great ladies that are covering for us now. Dee Slagle's been helping a lot. Lee Lankford, if I start mentioning names, I'll miss somebody. And I just did mention names. We've got several ladies uh, that are helping. And they're doing a jam-up job. Um, but... 
right now that's where we're at. I want to put together a really tight job description and then go out and get the person that God wants for that. He does. He's got him or her picked out. Yep, he really does. He really does. Amen. <coughs> B. <coughs> right. I talked with your wife today, Meredith, and I think she said she thinks we've got the largest group of children ever going to camp. Uh, the offering that we took up, I don't, I don't know how much it was, but it was enough to help all of our children for camp, maybe even assist some youth and things like that. So that's great. We had volunteers show up for that. You're a working church, and I appreciate that. That's what the Lord ought to find if he came today. Amen? Amen. Every one of us. If he walked in today, that's what he ought to see is us working gladly, gladly, joyfully. Me too, first and foremost, being happy. And that's in the job description about ten times. Positive attitude. Got to be an encourager. Amen? None of you want to come here to get beat up, do you? You need to come. You need any more discouragement in the world? All right. I didn't think so. I just want to make sure if I need to go back and add that. All right. <laughs> That's right. Be hard on people, you know. No. All right. Let's pray. All right, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. You are precious to us. And, Lord, we pray that our bodies would be temples that we treat with respect. Not only, Lord, with what and how we eat, and I sure need to work on that, and the physical exercise, things like that. It's important. You gave us these bodies to use for your glory, and I pray that we would live better and sharpen our approach to it. And Lord, I pray we'd sharpen our approach to the things that we let enter this body in our mind, through our eyes, through our ears, the things that are already in this temple that come out of it sometimes through our mouths. <clears throat> I pray that you would help us with that and convict us of that. And I pray that when you begin to point out these things that are wrong in your temple, that we wouldn't question your authority but that we would be driven to the scriptures and we would see your heart that you love us and care about us and you want what's best for us. You want us you want us to be a, a house of prayer. You want us to be a place that pictures the grace of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, you heard tonight you who sit in the heavens, you heard every prayer request. And you know the ones that are on our hearts, we pray for that we didn't mention, even like Brother George. The ones that, that are burdening us, and the ones that were mentioned, Lord, that we remembered, Lord, these everything from sickness to all kind of stuff. Lord, we pray that you would move. Lord, we pray that you'd show us the person and the plan that you have for our church. And Lord, please, we ask for the best servants out there. We ask for the best wisdom. And Lord, I thank you for this church.
thank you for the opportunity to be here. I love it so much, and I pray that we will love it because it's your church, and there's nothing like the bride of Christ. And, uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that as we follow up this rest of this week on the first time and second time and third time guests, Lord, that they would say, man, we love it, that they would come. If you want them here, Lord, then we want them here. If you don't, we don't. But, Lord, thank you for everybody's attitudes and everybody's uh, willingness to work together and make it a great event. And it was just a little picture of heaven. <laughs> Not just, just, a, just a taste, but a good taste. Lord, we love you. We lift these people and these prayer requests up to you, our church and one another, and we ask you to help us to be a great picture, too. Uh, I pray that... I always say, Lord, like every picture casts your shadow. I pray that this church would, if it casts a shadow, that it would be a, a shadow of you. And uh, that our community could look at us and see you in every way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you coming. We wound up with a good crowd. Yeah, look behind you. <laughs> Well, that was a good crowd.